Today, Joe and I are talking about Alan Watts, the writer, philosopher, and rascal who popularized Eastern wisdom in the 1950s and 60s, and who, as Joe tells it, featured in a dream, or maybe it wasn't just a dream, that stuck with him for nearly 30 years. I'm Rod Meets Ferry, and this is episode 9 of After the Laundry, The Misery. Hello, Rod. Good morning, my friend. It is early. How are you? It is early. I am well. <laughs> Good. I am very well. Did you sleep well? I did. I had a weekend of, of sitting. I meditated much of the day. At the monastery? No, I was with my friend Ryushin. Oh, excellent. He sat probably for seven or eight hours over the weekend. So just to back up, in previous episodes, we've talked about the idea of whether or not you would or would not be joining Zen Mountain Monastery, but just to update people, you know, joining in an official way as a robed student. But um, it seems that you're going to continue at ZMM in the way that you've been doing, but also taking up more time and practice with your friend Ryushin. Actually, it's something in the middle. Do you know what happened since we spoke about that? And this really kind of delighted me and, and cracked me up. Without my asking, the wonderful people at ZMM, they created the category for me. I'm official now. They created a new category for people who want to kind of support the monastery and want some formal relationship with the monastery, but don't want to be that formal. There's a new status. It's like practicing students, which basically means you give them 120 bucks a year and, and, you're, and you're involved. But that's it. Okay. <laughs> there, there, there are no more requirements. So I still get no robe. Um, I'm still not formal, but I'm showing that I love them and that, <laughs> and, and that they love me. And that's very nice, actually. How do you like that? They created a category. Maybe I'm not the only one. Well, congratulations on being street legal. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's uh, right. I, I, I have some status. You wouldn't know I have status. I didn't get a membership card. I didn't get uh, ordained. I didn't get a. I didn't get a, a face-to-face teaching. I didn't get a special hat or or anything. Uh, but I, I have some official relationship now. I hope someday you can work up to the special hat. <laughs> you know, George Carlin said. Beware of any religion that either compels you to wear or not wear a hat. That's right. Very important thing because sometimes you have to wear a hat and sometimes you can't wear a hat. Sometimes you can wear a hat inside and sometimes you have to wear it outside. And different kinds of hats and beware of hats that they, in, in general, watch out. If someone's compelling you to wear a hat, you generally want to avoid that, that whole scene. So that's great. I'm glad you had a nice weekend sitting. Um, you feel rested? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm rested. I don't know that has anything to do with... <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to my therapist now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel I had a good night's sleep. Thank you. How about yourself? <laughs> no, actually, the reason that I wanted to, to establish uh, your how your sleep is is because today we're going to be talking about a dream. We're not going to be talking about dreams in general, but we're going to be talking about a dream that you had. Uh, in 1990 and well I want to make a disclaimer first hmm. and the, the disclaimer I want to make is I 
I really hate talking about dreams in a, uh, or any dream on the, on the radio or in a podcast. I understand that it's problematic because generally speaking, I know that you don't care about my dream. By you, I mean anybody. First of all, it's even listening to, to listen to your own dream. It's more difficult to listen to a dream of someone who you love and care about and someone who you don't love and don't care about. Well, the hell with their dream. Who wants to hear their dream? So I understand that by my me sharing any dream that we, we run the risk of, of losing an infinite number of listeners. We couldn't be on the same page more about this. It is ironic that I'm going to be talking to you about this dream because in my life, I say to others, friends, people that I love, I don't want to hear about your dream. Don't talk to me about it. Right, right, right. Certainly so this better be good. It can't be, <laughs> it can't be held a, against me. With that disclaimer made, Yes. I am interested in my own dreams. I have a dream journal going back to the mid 80s. So if I you know, type in the search function, Rod Mead Sperry or Rod, I could find out when I dreamed about you, the date I dreamed about you, what the, what the dream was, etc. I've been cataloging my dreams for a very long time. Well, this, this memory here from 1990 that we're going to be talking about is incredibly detailed. I don't remember exactly when I was writing that down, but, you know, there are a couple of ways you could deal with dreams. Either you scribble notes and you, you know, write it down in the middle of the night or pick up your smartphone and push the record function and, and talk into the phone. You can, you can do that. You could just, you remember the dreams upon waking or you have a dream that wakes you up. This particular dream, which has been interesting to me, this is one of those dreams, you know, there are dreams that stay with you for your whole life. You know, the big dreams that you maybe keep coming back to because of their meaning or you're interested in them or because the vividness with which they struck you. And, and they just seem to kind of, it's like an old movie. And this particular dream, it's got a, a kind of cinematic quality. It reads like a movie. Um, it's very vivid. And at the center of the dream is a public figure, the great writer and philosopher Alan Watts, um, who is still probably my favorite teacher of Zen and Buddhism ever, certainly the most influential for me. He still seems like an important figure. Oh, indeed. In the culture. Yeah. Indeed. So let's get to the cinematic dream. So the setting of the dream for what that's worth uh, i'm i'm in some neighborhood where there seems to be some racial tension between blacks and whites i'm not sure what that means but there's some kind of protest going on and somebody wants me to join a march or a demonstration and all that's kind of in the background of the dream and i don't quite remember much of that but uh here's the meat so to speak i find myself at the bottom of a huge tower and alan watts is there and he is the leader of this group. He's teaching a workshop of some sort. And I'm in Alan Watts' workshop. How cool is that? And mm. he tells us that he was, he's going to the top of the tower to give some really important information or to share some philosophical secret with whomever gets up to the top of the tower first. And he says, I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in when you get up there. But we'll see. 
And with that, Watts is gone, and we're all at the bottom of this tower. Now, un- understand this. Just try to visualize this. This is a gigantic tower. Gigantic. So when when I look up, I cannot even see the top. That's how large this tower is, how, how tall it is. And it's perfectly square, and it's hollow inside. So the only way to climb to the tower is to walk along this, this narrow square ledge which leads around the the inner part of the tower. So I'm walking I'm walking along a wall and I'm walking along the next wall. I'm walking in this perpetual square, slowly moving up the tower. And it's a long, difficult, dangerous walk. And the higher you climb, the more narrow the ledge b- becomes. Hmm. And and to make this even more difficult for me, and again, this is, speaks to, you know, dreams, and make it this what you will, I've got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've got a cat. I'm holding on to my cat as I'm, I'm walking. And, and we all walk up this tower. Everyone in the group begins to walk. It's a kind of race. It's a, let's call it a race to the top. Okay. I'm doing pretty well. From the start, I'm a, I'm ahead of the pack. I'm I'm leading the group, and I'm walking, and it's a long journey. It reaches the point where I have climbed this tower quite a bit. However, even though I've climbed so far up that I look down, I can't see the bottom. I look up, I still can't see the top. To give you this, to give you the scope of this thing. Okay. But I just I just keep going, and it reaches the point where there is just one person behind me and and she's quite a bit behind me but she sees me and she catches my eye from the distance and she stops and she waves to me and she yells out well you're obviously the one he wants and she turns around and she starts heading down so now it is just me okay and i keep climbing it gets one of those dreams you lose all sense of time I'm, I climb, it gets very, even more narrow. The cat is clinging to the cat, to my arms. I almost dropped the cat at one point, but I just keep going and going. And finally, after this nerve wracking and tension filled journey, I see the level part and I reach the top of this level part at the very top of the tower. And I get up there and it's, it's, it's flat. And I look ahead and I see a, a, a metal door the kind of door that you might see in a European cathedral. At least that's my association to it. It's half open. And I push the door open and I walk in. And then what happens next happens in a complete flash. Completely surprises me. Watts has apparently rigged the doorway. And as soon as I step through the door, I, I, I step on a slab of wood or something and a sliding door opens. And there is Watts. And he is dead. He's in a coffin. It's the corpse of Alan Watts. And, and the, the door opens and, and, the, and the floor opens and there's a spring mechanism of some sort. And the corpse of Watts drops through the floor and falls all the way down the abyss. And I'm standing at the top watching the corpse of Alan Watts slide away get a momentary glimpse of it and then i wake up (laughs) (laughs) that's quite the novelty trick there
<laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. I'll be here all week. <laughs> so then you wake up, and you, uh, so when you wake up, in, when you have this dream in May 1990, according to your dream journal, <laughs> yes. Uh, what what did you think this meant? Um, I'm, 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 I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Was it was it scary? Was it mysterious? Was it kind of funny? I mean, you're certainly laughing about it now. It wasn't funny then. Okay. It was scary then. I mean, this is a a lesson from Alan Watts Beyond the Grave. So what do you think the lesson is? I you know, I want to check here something quickly. Was Alan dead yet? He must have been dead by 1990, right? He didn't he die in like seventy three? Yeah, he died. Of course, so he, of course he was dead. He died in seventy three, right? So he was dead for a long time. The lessons beyond the uh, uh, grave. You know, it's one of those dreams I kill. I still kind of, you know, keep coming back to the the tower is an interesting symbol, right? Because the the the, the tower is biblical. There's the tower. You're not supposed to climb that tower, right? Isn't that what happens in the Babel? The the uh, tower of Babel, uh, they, those those people try to climb the tower, and God doesn't like that, and kind of strikes them down with a lightning bolt. And and the tower, of course, is a figure in the uh, tarot as well. Shows two figures, I think, falling out of the tower, and it's said in the interpretation of that card that that wallet is a shocking thing, could be a grounding thing, also. Mm. Because the way to spiritual wisdom is not it's not about climbing the tower. Of course, I don't get blasted out of this tower. It's a very Wattsian dream, isn't it? Alan had a great sense of humor. He was a rapscallion. He really despised dogma. He was really... He sure did. He despised dogma, and he was against anything that spoke of... uh, He didn't like any religion that that required a lot of duty and, and rules. He was constantly pushing back against formality, you might say. And... There's a great joke here. There's a practical joke in this dream. <laughs> and, and guess who the joke's on? <laughs> uh, this idea that, oh, climb to the top of this tower and I'm going to have a secret for you. Get up there. I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in, but come on up. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in. Well, that's what he says. That's what he says. I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in. Oh, yeah, well, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> guess what's at the end of the journey? This is what awaits for you at the end of the journey, pal. Um, and it's not very pretty. Now, turn around, get back down to the ground, and do your work. I guess that was something I needed to, um, the point needed to be driven home to me at that point. Um, and again, it's hard to remember exactly that uh, back in 1990, but I was probably very immersed in my study of, of Watts. I've been reading Alan for a long, long time. Perhaps on the simplest level, that was just a reminder that, that he was not an authority him, himself. Perhaps it compensated for that aspect of myself that was looking to him as some kind of authority or master. Years later, when I got more seriously involved in studying Zen with with teachers and all that, for example, when I first went to Zen Mountain Monastery, when I first went to the bookstore, I remember being somewhat startled that they weren't any books there by Alan Watts. I thought, how could there be a Zen bookstore without any book by Alan Watts? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it didn't make sense to me, although it it does make sense to me now. 
Alan really didn't toe the line of any particular monastery or, or teacher. He was truly an independent thinker and he could be critical and he could be, I guess he could be even, I was going to say disrespectful, but actually the better word would be irreverent. And, um, you know, the last 10 years or so of Alan's life, he actually became kind of a, a very well-known public figure. He got involved in the counterculture and he actually wrote about psychedelics as well in a book called The Joyous Cosmology. From The Joyous Cosmology, I am looking at the world, not confronting it. I am knowing it by a continuous process of transforming it into myself so that everything around me, the whole globe of space, no longer feels away from me, but in the middle. Wow, that's beautiful. That isn't that great? Such a such a damn good writer. So, you know, pick up an Alan Watts Watts book. Is it too much to say he became kind of a star? Um, the courses and, and things that he led in both New York and in the San Francisco area attracted so many young people, many beat figures, and his star rose pretty quickly, I would say. Right. So, you know, getting back to that dream, maybe that dream is, uh, depending on how you in interpret dreams, I mean, of course, different people have different takes on what the dream world is all about in terms of people who have left this earthly plane and show up in dreams. Was that a visitation from Alan? Was it a private lesson that I got from Alan? Well, if so, I've, I, I've shared it for the, for, for the benefit of, of all. It seems, uh, again, very Wattsian to me. It actually feels like the kind of workshop Alan might lead, no? <laughs> it does seem in, in his spirit. There's a playfulness there for sure. Did you wake up and have a sense of what this thing meant? Did you have, have a sense of, boy, I, uh, I'm going to kind of recalibrate my relationship to all this stuff right away? You know, listen, a dream like that, the thing that wakes me up in that moment is the corpse of Alan Watts sliding down into an abyss. <laughs> there's, there's, just, there's just fear and being startled. It's like, holy moly. <laughs> right. and, ah! and then, you know, and lots of dreams end that way with some kind, of, some kind of something that's startling. It happened to be this in this particular dream. I, I imagine what happened to me is I work backwards and I'm able to recount the whole story. A story like that needs to be so many details there that needs to be written down fairly quickly. And then it takes a little time and you begin to sit or I begin to sit and say, all right, what is really going on here? Can I breathe into this dream? Can I what is what is really being asked of me here? You know, Jung, um, th that would be Carl Jung, not not Crosby, Stills, Nash and Jung uh, <laughs> was was. Uh, <laughs> fond of saying that everything in a dream is a given except the feeling or the perspective of the dreamer. So um, I'm dreaming about Watts. Of course, I, I had a relationship with Watts in some way. I had a relationship to his books. I had a, I had a, a I'll call it a psychological relationship to his teachings. So um, that would be a different dream if, if someone else had that dream and they despised Watts and they thought Watts was a fraud. It would be a different, have a different meaning to that person. It had a very particular meaning to me because of my love and affection uh, for Alan and how much I had, had admired him. But I'll also say this, uh, what I think is a fascinating thing about a dream like this. To, to, to those of us who have read Alan, uh, who have heard him speak, uh, have a relationship of some sort with Alan, as you do, 
it, it's a, it is an interesting dream to look at, maybe not from the perspective of Joe, but just as, well, as I say, it has a cinematic quality. Imagine this or imagine yourself on that journey. It seems to me that there's perhaps a lesson in that dream that might be might be valuable to someone beyond myself. Mm, that's true. So that was what inspired me to share the dream with, with you. And also it's it, it just nice for me to express my my love uh for for alan after all these years so after all of these years do you still go back to him do you listen to the the alan watts podcasts or any of those things i do and i have a, a tradition that i've been doing uh for many many years i really started reading alan in the wilderness um when i go out on the appalachian trail or go out into the woods for a week or so, I, I bring an Alan Watts book, This Is It, or one of his books on, on Zen, uh, Behold the Spirit. I just bring a Watts book with me uh, because I love uh, Alan's voice in the wilderness. And I, I, was, I used to just soak him in do, doing that. And I had this foolish idea that I was the only person in the world doing this, that no one else was exactly doing this until... Uh, a number of years later, Van Morrison actually wrote a song called Alan Watts Blues uh, about that very thing, about, you know, about how he would bring Alan into the woods with him and, and read Alan Watts in the wilderness. Well, I'm taking some time with my quiet friend. Well, I'm taking some time on my own. And that has been a tradition that I've continued to this day. As you know, I was out on the Milk River in, in Canada for a couple of weeks. Uh, and I brought two books with me. I brought The Eight Gates of Zen by John Dido Laurie. And I, and I brought a, a book by Alan Watts of Alan's essays. He's an old friend. What do you think he would think about you doing um, eight hours of sitting in a day? <laughs> I think um, I don't know that Alan ever sat eight hours just sitting in a day. You think Alan ever sat for eight hours? He was a little bit dismissive of the emphasis on actual meditation in Zen, which is a weird thing because Zen literally means meditation. It's the meditation school, so he messes up the, their messaging. Yes. Well, he didn't like Rose. Alan would be. Uh, more comfortable doing what I did this weekend at a friend's house rather than at a monastery. He didn't like rows of people and he didn't like formality. So the idea that uh, in the Zen tradition, as we've talked about, it's very choreographed. It's very, it's very set. You bow before you enter the Zendo, you walk to your pillow, you bow, you bow. It's, it's prescribed. It's timed. Uh, the periods are timed. There's a, the, the breaks are timed. It's uh, if you could you could say if you wanted to that the schedule is rigid. I've gotten kind of past that myself. I'd say it's precise, but whether you look at it as precise or rigid, ten o'clock means ten o'clock at a monastery. It doesn't mean ten o one. That was not Alan's way. <laughs> <laughs> he pushed against that. He pushed against. Um, he would say, when you're, when you're done meditating, get up and, uh, and go on, you know, when you're hungry, eat. And, and regarding Zen, 
uh, uh, Rod, and then uh, Buddhism. I just pulled up this quote, which I uh, remembered. He said, I do not even style myself a Zen Buddhist, for the aspect of Zen in which I am personally interested is nothing that can be organized, taught, transmitted, certified, or wrapped up in any kind of system. It can't even be followed, for everyone has to find it for himself. He was relentlessly and unapologetically and independent. And that's what I loved about him. Yeah. Okay. Um, gee, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we've, we've said it all. Have you got anything new uh, in the works, like on your blog, a new piece on the blog, or anything that we can point people to? Yeah, I do have a new piece um, on uh, my blog at joeriola.com, uh, which is called When a Man Who Can't Stop Throwing His Own Excrement Rises to Power. And um, this is the first time that I've actually written down the Trump monkey theory that we uh, talked about on a previous podcast. That was, yes, the last episode, the famous, the now world-famous Trump monkey theory put forth by Joe Riola. Yeah, I'm happy about that. And I'm also getting ready to, uh, you know, start promoting my upcoming performance here in New York City, which will be on October 13th. Uh, uh, I'm performing in the United Solo Festival, uh, my one-man show, The Joy of Censorship, Free Speech in the Age of Trump. So we just shot the promo for that. And I can tell you about that when we speak next. Well, that'll be part of what we talk about. We have some other things planned, too. Till then, visit JoeRayola.com for more from Joe and for more from me, Rod Sperry, and my colleagues at the Buddhist magazine and website Lion's Roar. Check out LionsRoar.com. Thanks for listening to After the Laundry and the Misery.